Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hello, you are listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Sense and Sensibility over here is Daniel. That's really hard. Um... Do you need me to get another one? No, 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 let me have a think. You yelled at me for not making these hard enough for you. Yeah, but... Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas <laughs> is Abby. <laughs> that was a good one. You are pretty quick on these. I have to give you that. It's like, a fun... It's, I love this sort of game. These, it's a good Christmas game. <laughs> to play at home. So this is our 2023 end of year special. And in this episode, we're going to talk about season four, a little retrospective. We're gonna correct any errors we might have made this year, which are apparently numerous. <laughs> we're gonna answer some of your questions that mm. the audience has written in. So we might not answer everyone's questions in this episode. Some of them, you know, we might just not have anything good to say about it. We might have to cut some things for time. So I apologize, but we're gonna try to answer at least one question from everybody who wrote in. And we're going to read listener letters. So if in the course of this year, you have sent us a letter that we have not yet read on the show, we will read it here. This obviously is only up to sort of mid-December because that's when we're recording it. So anything sort of sent in the second half of December, sorry guys, you're going to have to wait till season five. So Daniel, speaking of which, do you want to read a couple of letters here? Very, very, all too very gladly. Here's one from Jeff. Hi, Daniel and Abby. Thank you for putting me first. Mm, Jeff, you're on thin ice here, buddy. Okay. Thanks for the awesome podcast. We just listened to Royal We, I assume, just listened to the Kafka episode, and there were a couple of references to the James Bond effect of women suddenly dropping everything to sleep with the protagonist. I was wondering if either of you had read Fleming's Bond, because I didn't find this was actually present in the books, but rather an artifact of the films. Please keep up the good work, and if we can have more quote-unquote sinister Daniel <laughs> then that would be great do not forget that's what he says uh, so thanks for that Jeff so sinister th Daniel I don't like that I'm bright and shiny and breezy so he's referencing the outro credits where you say do not forget yeah wasn't there that other listener who despite being a lesbian was turned on by you when you said that didn't she say yeah. yes daddy but apparently he finds it sinister can be both Oh, so, I know. Yeah. I know it can be both. The, the erotics of the sinister, yeah. Don't know what to say, but I'm glad that that one short clip of me, uh, Big Stupid, has had the most influence on people, yeah. Can I tell you that when you recorded that, that was one of the first things we recorded was the intro and the outro before we did our Frankenstein episode. And I was so nervous and such a perfectionist, I was really irritated with you for doing that. Mm -hmm. And you would not do another take yes. because I wanted it to be very professional yeah. and, ver and oh, that, that. Yeah. quickly, quickly dissolved. I'm really glad you actually did it. It's one of the few times you disobeyed me and I actually was like, no, you were right. I'm a free spirit. <laughs> the most rule-bound free spirit I've ever met. It's like Hegel, isn't it? It's about learning to follow the rules of your own free will. That's what I do. That's why I'm a free spirit. Oh, wait, we didn't even talk about James Bond. Have you read James Bond? Well, I read one. I've never read a James Bond book. That might be kind of fun to do at some point. I read Casino Royale, and this is not a very um, original point, but the big thing, instead of lots of sex, it's lots of food. 
right up your alley. Yeah, I really like them. There's lots of funny meals. It's always just like Bond got up and had a swim and then went for breakfast in the hotel, which consisted of a soft boiled egg and a <laughs> beautiful blue egg cup and lashings of toast and you know just like listing it what else did people have for breakfast smoked salmon uh, and charcuteries were also there and, you know it's so they're very food oriented right now shall we read another letter yes abby and daniel <coughs> coffin <coughs> you sound like you belong in a coffin <laughs> abby and daniel hi from the patreon total brag <laughs> Yeah, so this is one of the inside crew, isn't it? This is one of the inner circle. Did I say who they were? Amanda. (laughs) Okay. I found your podcast on Audible of all places. I am a community night school dropout. America. (laughs) Do you need me to read this? I thought it said Mercia. You don't have the right delivery. I think I'm doing it well. Okay. Funny if it was Mercia, though. (laughs) Anyway, the old heptarchy. And I live in Colorado, where weed and abortion are legal. Way! As is openly carrying a loaded weapon without a permit. Yeah. Okay. Freedom. I appreciate Abby's redneck background. This was from our Huckleberry Finn episode, where I said that I was from Proud Hill Folk. Oh, yeah. As I come from a long line of white trash. <laughs> uh, so you you also you consider yourself a white trash do you there is absolutely one side of my family that is pretty white trash and we all know which side it is if there are any relatives listening all right okay well <laughs> daniel is probably asking what the difference is and i think it's a matter of location and what kind of trash is stored in your front yard vehicles versus appliances and how closely you're related to what should be distant cousins <laughs> In my family, the thing in the front garden was the deer carcass draining in your garage. Right. Well... Beat that, Amanda. No, no, no. I'm sure Amanda probably has similar. But yeah, one side of my family... Actually, both sides of my family are pretty big hunting families. How do you think you would be if you were raised in dirtbag country? Very different, I would have thought, right? You'd be be called something like Dimebag Dan. Oh, I want to be called Zeke. And you would always know where to get a discount muffler. Uh, you mean like one of those things that women keep their hands warm with? That's a muff. Right, okay. So that's, that's more my milieu. <laughs> anyway, we're only halfway through the letter. Sorry. So, as to the question you posed in the trial episode, I recently finished The Haunting of Hill House, and while I enjoyed the ride, the end left me wanting. Have you read this book? No, but I have. Okay. I saw The Sorry. Haunting in the theaters when I was maybe about 10, and it scared the hell out of me. Is it, what's her name? The Lottery? Shirley Jackson. Yeah, yeah. and then I've, I've also seen The Haunting of Hill House movie from the 60s, which, by the way, What's-His-Face directed that in between West Side Story and The Sound of Music. Oh, wise. Yeah, yeah, so, um... Man, that's a real tonal difference. I remember at least the original film being deeply psychological and something quite cold about it. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Amanda, that I've never read the book, but the film was really good but left me wanting mm-hmm. something. There was something just, just out of reach. And maybe that's the point. I don't know. I, sh- I should read the book and see. Apparently it has a lot of queer readings in it too. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they amp that up in The Haunting because Catherine Zeta-Jones comes in as a proud bisexual... Well, thank you, Catherine Zeta-Jones, yet again. <laughs> We're saying it every week yeah. on the show. Rarely makes it on to the episode. Zeta-Jones-Claxon, right there. She's the patron saint of this podcast, actually. Yes, yeah. Oh, the Welsh. So, anyway, 
I appreciate your amusing and insightful talents, and I look forward to more. Amanda. P.S. Dearest Daniel. Hello, I'm listening. I am honouring your wishes, and I am saving myself until December to listen to the Christmas Carol episode. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. More people should be doing that. And telling me about it. I, I want to know that. But Amanda, it's December, so you have Daniel's full blessing yeah, yeah. to listen to that. Knock yourself out. As much as you want. Well, when this episode is coming out, time's ticking. Twelfth night is approaching. You've only got five, six more days. <laughs> okay, now we're going to do some corrections. And we received a very nice letter from our fan, Fabio, who's an ancient world scholar. I can't remember exactly what your title is, Fabio, but you had some notes on our Odyssey episode, which we're very grateful for because, you know, we have expertise in Victorian literature. This is well outside our wheelhouse. So it's nice to have an expert who actually knows what they're mm. talking about. That's why just Justine he, comes on the show. Yeah, he's a, our classical Justine, isn't he? So Fabio, we're not going to read all of these, but we are going to address some of them. He says that we're a bit unfair on Penelope. She is indeed a high caliber MILF. Great joke. Thank you. It was a great joke. And she cries a lot and so on. But as female characters in ancient Greek literature go, she is one of the more complex ones and still has a lot of agency within the relatively limited confines of the household. She is also cunning. And in that regard, she is both the feminine equivalent of Odysseus and the good girl counterpart of Helen. I like that as Penelope sort of like riding a very mm. difficult line in between those two things yeah. I really wanted to see a lot more of her yeah. cunning um, yeah I suppose um, that idea of her as a kind of counterpart is an interesting reading I think I was just put off by how many times she cried yeah I just I worried about her hydration levels it's hot in Greece exactly and it's yeah. going to tire you out no wonder she went to sleep all of the time it's just I, I worry about her Greek food is really salty as well isn't it? So I yeah and I, I just if she were, you know, posting this stuff on Facebook, I would constantly be replying with, you okay, hun? That would be your Homeric epithet. <laughs> Apparently, we missed a queer reading for when Telemachus Ooh. meets Nestor's son, Pisistratus. I don't remember us even commenting on that. We, that might have been something that ended up on the editing room floor. We glossed a lot of we, the we did... te Telemachiad or whatever you call that section. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, the Greek word for no man, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here, but Outis, outis, can either be masculine or feminine, which Ooh. that's kind of fun. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. So no person. Yeah, no person, no one. Hmm. And he says here, and I think this is great because I would love to do this at some point. We called Hermes a twink. And he says that that description is a verbatim quote in the Iliad. Hmm. Hermes the twink. If uh, I would love to do the Iliad at some point. It's on our long list, but probably on our shorter version of a long list, mm. if that makes any sense. All right. So I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that. So Fabio says, the dog episode is one of the most moving in the poem. In fact, if you think about the Odyssey as a story about an absence as much as a story about a return, the second half of the poem, with all its meetings and ironic conversations, becomes a lot more emotionally rewarding. I think that's a really good analysis of this, that it is two halves meshed together. It's not just Odysseus trying to come back, but it's that Odysseus-shaped hole in mm. the Ithaca bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fabio also says that her role in the slaughter of the suitors is really problematic because whoever put this version of the poem together, this is Emily Wilson's translation, but I don't know if she's working from an older one, yeah. combined several other existing versions. So I think this version we have is a little muddled in okay. terms of her... We didn't really talk about that, did we? We talked about it with Gilgamesh, about how that was a kind of composite, but we didn't... Yeah. I think that it's to be assumed with all of these poems, right, that there's different versions. Yeah. But Fabio says Penelope was in on it. I'm sure she wouldn't have minded it anyway. Oh, she you know, would, even, yeah. even, even if she wanted in on it, she'd be like, good. 
The other question was when Odysseus sets up all of those axes so he can shoot an arrow. Oh, yeah, this through is that, funny. Yeah. And we were like, what the hell is happening? What does what is that setup? We had different theories, didn't we, as to what it would look like. And he says, quite simply, nobody really knows what the deal is with the axes. Okay. We had talked about the sequel that they set up to the Odyssey. Fabio says there is actually a sequel to the Odyssey, <gasps> but unfortunately only a summary survives. Oh. It's called the Telegony, named after Odysseus's son with Circe, Telegonus. Whoa. So they, uh... Oh, they were doing it dirty. Well, I know, but didn't uh, know it actually bore fruit. Oh, it does. And I like that she sort of names her son something very similar to his Telemachus. legitimate son. Yeah. But it gets worse. Telegonus unknowingly kills Odysseus, so we get a little bit of an Oedipus yeah, yeah. situation. And in the end, Telegonus marries Penelope. And Telemachus marries Circe. Imagine your brother being your stepfather and your mother also being your sister-in-law. Sounds like Vermont. Well, again, I don't want to go back to it, but it sounds like Milf Manor as well, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much the premise. Those funny Greeks. Oh. Anyway, Fabio sent in many more corrections. We don't have time to cover them all here, but those were some of the highlights. So thank you very much. And, you know, please do write in if you think that we have misinterpreted something, because you know what? We're only human. It happens. Okie dokie. So we will have more corrections coming up later in the show. Now some audience questions from Anna on Instagram. What is your least favorite book adaptation to screen and why? Well, first of all, I do have a, a very strong answer for that, but that's going to come in my answer to one of your later questions, Anna, so stay tuned. But I do have to say, Ella Enchanted has got to be right up there. That was one of my favorite books as a young child. It came out when I was in my early teens. What the hell did they do to that book? I'm thinking, um, so ill-prepared, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was thinking um, the David Copperfield one by Armando Iannucci, which I did enjoy. Oh, I loved that one. I, no, well, I did enjoy it, and I thought it was funny, but... He, he makes it his own thing. He doesn't follow the... the Like, the ending is very different. Yeah. Well, I didn't like that. And okay. I didn't I didn't like that Uriah Heep wasn't a clerk from the get-go. And Mr. McCorber working at the school annoyed me. The film, the film, in many ways, is better than the book. But as an adaptation, it annoyed me. I think it's mainly just because of the clerk erasure is what I'm upset about. This is just because you did your PhD in Victorian Clarks. You need to, I think that you're maybe letting that blind you a little bit. Okay. Then Anna asks, bonus question for Abby. What would be an adaptation you'd like to see come true and how would you cast it? Why is this not a bonus question? Because you do the casting. Because I do the casting. Right. Still though. Well, we can, we can come back no, to I don't you. want to answer it. Okay. Um, not wanted. <laughs> No, you're not. No. I like it when men know their place. <laughs> I like my men seen and not heard. Not great for a podcast, but, you know, they can feel you there. Mm. So I think that's a great question, and this is also a very sore subject for me, because I waited 20 years for an adaptation of Joyce Carol Oates' Blonde, which is probably my all-time favorite book. I've read it, I think, every year since I was a tween. And the version that was it this past year, or maybe the year before... It made me so angry, I turned it off two-thirds of the way through. So, Ana de Armas did a wonderful job, but the director and whoever wrote the script just completely misunderstood the book. And they just, like, fucking hated Marilyn Monroe. Like, the disdain I felt that they were putting towards her was so off-putting. And I was just like, for the love of God, give this text to a woman to direct. I thought Emerald Fennel 
could have really navigated these complexities with humor and style and sensitivity. I'd love to see Scarlett Johansson in the role, because I know she's a good physical and dramatic actress, but I don't think she's been given that much of a chance to stretch herself. And I actually wondered if she could be one Monroe, if we could do a Bob Dylan, I'm not there treatment where it's like different Monroes in different scenarios in her life. What about you? What, what's an adaptation you'd like? And how would you cast it? Even though Anna does not want your opinion. Don't know. What books do I like? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. How would you cast Capital? The big thing is that a lot of my castings or adaptation things get cut, don't they? Because I always just say I want it to be a cartoon. <laughs> I always say I want oh that would make a really good Jan Schrankmeyer so something by Jan Schrankmeyer in fact you could have the commodity fetishism bit in Capital animated by Jan Schrankmeyer because you'd have tables all dancing around and you'd just have like a very dull voiceover explaining god why do I cut this gold <laughs> every episode yeah. Uh, yeah I'm hearing it now I'm hearing it <laughs> <laughs> okay let's move on so these are some questions from Adam Saw on Twitter that you were looking for questions for an end of your episode. Tis the season. So, do you have any Christmas traditions? Daniel, do you want to tell me what your Christmas traditions are? Um, don't know, really. Drink a lot, eat a lot. You sometimes make beer? I sometimes make beer, yeah. Should come up with something funny, shouldn't I? Do you open your Christmas presents on Christmas morning? Well, not before, because that would be naughty, wouldn't it? So, yeah, on the day, I'd say. Uh, what about you? Okay, so... I grew up with this huge extended Catholic family, so Christmas was always really, like, stressful for me as a kid. We were always going from one place to the other. But as an adult, I have corrected this, right? And I have a great Christmas. So I do something that I call Dark Christmas. And this takes place on Christmas Eve. And I dress in whatever my favorite decadent dressing gown is at the moment. Just imagine whatever Christine Baranski would wear in The Grinch, and it's along those lines. I make myself a martini. I sit in the dark with just the Christmas lights on, and that's when I open all of my presents. And then I watch sort of darker, more cynical Christmas fare, all the sort of like alt Christmas movies or whatever. Then on Christmas Day, I have, you know, stocked up the fridge to that point where I don't need to leave my house for days and apart from the odd skype call to family in the states i don't talk to a soul and it is wonderful i love it so much i'm a very type a person so like having days where i don't do anything is really like luxurious to me it just makes me so happy um, i even have a different tree topper for dark christmas that i changed just for christmas eve what is it like a swastika or something no. no, no, it's not. Okay. Yeah. It was a specially made Black Phillip oh, right. that's, topper that's cool. that, that was yeah. given to me a couple of that's years ago. That's a nice ago. present. Because yeah. pe people know about like my penchant for... This sounds a bit... I'm thinking like... You it know like how like computer games make children evil? <laughs> this is a bit like that. This is making me think of that. Dorian Gray, it's a bit... Or it's a bit... Arabore. Oh, yeah. You're, you're a bit désessante, aren't you? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's very like darkly glittering and glamorous. <laughs> Okay, so Adam goes on to ask, what is your favorite Christmas movie or TV show? So for me, as part of Dark Christmas, nothing beats a very Murray Christmas. It's, it's sort of equal parts funny and melancholy. It has really good music, and it's all of an hour long. You cannot beat it. For me, it's back to David Copperfield, actually. Dickens is just Christmas, isn't he? Even the non-Christmas ones. 
Obviously the Muppet one's good, but I really like that David Lean Great Expectations. So I, quite, I watched that quite a bit. But the big thing I was thinking, and this is a tip for people, because uh, there's all this like Christmas crap up to watch, isn't there? Mm-hmm. We all know about that. There's not much Twelfth Night stuff. Apart from Twelfth Night, the play, now I think about it. Which is not actually about Twelfth Night. It's sort of like for Twelfth Night, wasn't it? There you go. So that doesn't even really count. John Huston's The Dead is a really good Twelfth Night oh. film. And it's very melancholy. It's got, really got that end of Christmas feeling. It's almost like a, a perfect film, you know? It's like mm. a really, really good film. So watch that. Adam asks... Are you New Year's Eve party people or stay at home and watch the ball drop people? What's that? Is that something to do with, like, puberty? (laughs) Watching the old ball drop? I'm... (laughs) (laughs) What's that? You're still waiting for your other one, dude. No, so, Adam, I assume you're American. Watching the ball drop isn't a thing over here. We don't, like, have a giant ball lowering from, like, Big Ben or something. Does it crush people? No, no, it's in Times Square. It's 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 just, like, a disco ball thing that, like, counting down from ten, it starts to lower. What's the unit of measurement? Seconds. No, no, but for the ball. What do you mean? Well, what? (laughs) It lowers... Pretty basic stuff, right? A certain number of feet per second. Yeah, is it feet? I, yes, a well, certain I number. Can somebody write in and tell me what's the unit of no. measurement for the? There are tons of really brave people who go to Times Square when it is freezing out and there are no toilets and they stand there for hours and hours to watch it drop live. I have no interest in doing that. Sounds like yeah, you're of the. But set. um, but I, I mean, I'm urinating I, here. Is that what they're like? <laughs> I'm watching the ball job, but I'm urinating. No, the, the the grim reality that I've just found out about is apparently a lot of people wear adult diapers to that thing. So they can piss. This is not sounding very appealing. No, it's not. I think I'd rather go through puberty again. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the point is, we you all watch it at home in the states, like because it's televised live. Like the Hootenanny. I don't know what that is. You don't know what the Hootenanny is. It's this like Jules Holland who plays boogie woogie piano, and he does this like fake New Year's party. In British culture, it's famously a kind of admission of defeat if you find yourself watching the Hootenanny on New Year's Eve. I've seen it plenty of times, so I think that answers your question. Well, I don't really like New Year's Eve because I think it sets up high expectations that it never meets. So I always stay home. Um, Sometimes I don't even make it to midnight. But I do have a New Year's tradition, which I think is very charming, which is that on New Year's Eve, I watch a film from 100 years previously, which I thought was a really good way to like get to know my early cinema. So last year, I watched the Harold Lloyd film Safety Last, oh, yeah. which was from the 1923. Clock. And this year, I'll be watching films from 1924. So I'm going to probably watch The Thief of Baghdad. So you guys who are listening to this now, probably on New Year's Eve, you can watch along with me. It's hard because you started in the 1980s, didn't you? So you said to watch loads of zoetropes. <laughs> Man on horse? <laughs> Don't knock it, Daniel. I have a second New Year's tradition, which is a much more recent one. I think I've only done it one or two years. On New Year's Day, the BBC puts out this big orchestral concert, and about 25 minutes in, I text Daniel and I ask if he's okay because I know that on New Year's Day he's watching it hungover and crying. You guys, you can, you know, tomorrow morning if you're listening to this and it's what 10:25 in the morning or whenever whenever it's on, just you can set you your watch well. by it. Yeah. I, I will uh yeah, s- send in your emails and ask Daniel if he's doing okay. All right, should we read some more letters? Yes. We got a message from an unnamed person. They wrote in via our website. 
Hi, Abby and Daniel. Thanks for the recent Q&A session. I hope you do one again sometime. Oh, I think this person wrote in before because they say, when I first found your podcast, I thought I would wait to listen to each episode until I had read the book myself. Do you remember somebody had said yes, that? Yes, yes. But I ditched that approach early on because I was having too much fun listening to you and I never mind spoilers. So we had asked um, at some point, I can't remember which episode it was, books that you've read and hated. So this person wrote in saying that they really hated An American Tragedy by Theodore Dreiser, Rabbit Run by John Updike, and Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. Listener, I'm ashamed to say I've never read any of those three. That's a big one, isn't it? Portrait of a Lady. I know, I've meant to read it. <laughs> I haven't read it <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and they also talk about not liking any of the characters in Evil and Was A Handful of Dust. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another handful of dusty and... You're not meant to like the characters in that book, though. Yeah, the ending of the book was so fabulously creepy and horrifyingly funny, it became a favourite that I'll probably read again someday. Man, you're just setting us up to have to read. Yeah, a lot of people have been talking about the ending of a handful of... You don't know the ending, I don't. Do I don't know it's, anything about it's it. It's a very funny ending. Do you want to do another letter? Yes. Okay, so we've got one from Vincent here. It just says The Wasp Factory... I think that was a recommendation. Or wait, I think there was a second email. There is a book called The Wasp Factory. Let me see what the second email says. Lecume de Jour by Camus. Vincent says, it's not actually by Camus, it's Boris Vian. Vian? Sorry about that. Late night cleaning schools in Berlin does that kind of thing. <laughs> Which makes me think of the castle. The Franz Kafka, he, he has to clean his school in that. Oh, does he? So maybe you should be reading that if you want reverse recommendations. <laughs> That's exciting to have a Berliner listening. I love donuts. <laughs> uh, okay. Now for more corrections. So this is a bit where these are my corrections. Things I got wrong or wanted to clarify or jokes I should have made. So in our Macbeth episode, we had a disagreement about what a thane is. I looked it up and Daniel was actually right. It's not a duke. It's something more akin to a general lord. And I think the closest English equivalent would be a baron. So in our Dorian Gray episode, there was a joke I really should have made, and I thought of it as soon as we finished recording. I should have called Basil the artist Dandy Warhol. Like the band. The Dandy Warhols. What? That's a band? God damn it! Yeah. I was so charmed when I thought Their of that. Joke, right? but <laughs> yes, I always am, but once again, I'm following Beaten in the wake. It. Yeah. <laughs> okay. To go back to the Odyssey, I got scolded for making a bad pun in which I said that Odysseus's ship, the transport he was taking to get his revenge, was his Liam Nissan. And I saw somebody on Twitter recently who had that as their handle. I don't know if we came to that idea independently or if they happened to listen to the show or what and change their handle, but I was actually overjoyed because this person has like tens of thousands of followers. Isn't Liam Nissan the lead singer? No, he's the bassist of the Dandy Warhol. You fucker! I, I, I think he is. I okay, that's cute. That's yeah. cute. But clearly, if somebody who's funny online all the time thinks that that's hilarious enough to have it be their screen name, it must be a good joke. With the Stepford Wives, I can't believe we never talked about them in terms of the Real Housewives series. Yeah, and they're not real. Well, I, quite. But that would have been the end of the Bravo Channel. That would have been the spin-off that would have broken the network. When they throw drinks on each other, they would all frazzle and <laughs> break and stuff, so I suppose, yeah. In our Macbeth episode, you had a go at me for hoping that Lady Macbeth had run off to become Queen of Lotharingia, and you said Lotharingia no longer existed at that point in history. Well, f***o, it did. In the year 1000, Lotharingia was still going. Bullshit. It stopped being its own kingdom 
in 900 AD, but it was its own duchy and later partitioned as a couple of duchies for quite some time thereafter. So, okay, she might not have been queen of Lotharingia, but she absolutely could have been the duchess of so Lotharingia. Okay. Bollock, I think that's bollocks. You are so frustrating right now that I wish that I had a slur specifically for people named Daniel. I don't know what I've done. That's You're the one who's coming at me to me. Got, no, aha, I think you're fine. I gave you, when you were right about things, I gave you the Macbeth Thane thing where I was like, yeah, you were right. Why can't you give it to me when I'm... It's not my nature. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think I like to say those are in Gia. Okay. Just to feel Follow like your just, bliss, just, my dude. I like to swap. Okay. Well... I just, I just go both ways when it comes to like Faringia, like Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, <laughs> we have some non-Christmas questions from Adam. So Adam, this is your second batch. Do you guys have siblings? You have a younger sister? I have a sister. I don't have any siblings because unlike Daniel's parents, my parents got it right on the first try. Yeah. What are your most hated words and expressions? That's so, quite a fun question. One I've been thinking about lately is, um, and it's something that I do a lot, is um, it's talking about humans. Oh, uh, elaborate. Where people are like, oh, humans are so strange and stuff like that. You don't like the word human. It's just it just feels very like tautological almost to say oh, to to like talk about it in species terms. You know what I mean? Or like to say the whole of human civilization is like this, and it's just it's a kind of like something that the stand-up comedians say a lot, and it annoys me because it's just something. I could see that, and I worry now that now that you've pointed it out, I'm gonna start being annoyed by it. Oh well, because I do it. But then I think, why am I doing that? I don't need to do that. You it's, don't need to say humans. It's redundant. Yeah. And because it's redundant, it's a bit like when people say like basically or something. It sounds like you're trying to be a bit more articulate than you really are. You? I really hate the words flesh and loins. Oh, I quite like them. Oh, God. Oh, and I hate most poop-related expressions because I grew up with a lot of guy friends. And I feel like I have just heard every bit of toilet humor imaginable. And it's just a really massive turnoff for me. There's a certain British thing that people do here that I hate, and you guys over-abbreviate things. I'm going to uni instead of university. Where's my lippy instead of lipstick? I want a bevy. Got to put on my sunnies. I say bevy. Where's like my brawly? It, uh, it sounds twee and obnoxious. Yeah, that's England. Okay, and I have a question from a Facebook user who wishes to remain anonymous. And I, I love this question, actually, listener. So you know who you are, but um, I think this is great. If you guys could record your show from one location in a book you've read, where? As in on the podcast. Oh, yeah. I, I assume they mean, like, from, from an episode we've covered on the show. <laughs> Lily, I want to kill those people. Okay. So the, the, there would be quite an upsetting recording, wouldn't it, if I'm, like, kicking people around? <laughs> you just cut that shit out, though. I'm good, I'm not that good to, you know, tune out all of the lamentations. Yeah, the Lilliputian lamentations. Canterbury Tales would be nice. It'd be nice to do it on, on muleback on the or, way to... Um, or at a pub. That'd oh, yeah, or at a pub, yeah. That'd be quite cozy. Yes. You? I'd love to do Basil Hayward's lavish studio in the picture of Dorian Gray, because it's full of pillows... We'd sound fantastic, but then also just like the opium-tainted cigarettes and the peacock wallpaper and all those delicate wine glasses. You know I'm a fancy bitch. I just want to be surrounded by luxury. Okay, let's go back to some letters then. So we have a letter from Anna. She wrote about the Stepford Wives episode, and she said, Thank you a lot for this episode. It gave me some good laughs. 
Um, okay, this might be an exaggeration, as I'm a smirker at best, but mm-hmm. it, did, it did make me giggle several times. Despite noticing, now there's a samba klaxon, Lord knows why. <laughs> Anna's Brazilian, I'm very sorry, um, but that's okay. I, I'm going to teach Daniel how to do a samba, so he'll have his shadow roles perfected by the time that we ever meet you in person, and he can just really impress you. Oh, so she she wanted to talk about the first film version for the Stepford Wives, which we obviously referenced oh, in yeah, the show. Oh, yeah. Joanna's daughter is played by Mary Stuart Masterson. Who is Mary Stuart Masterson, Daniel might be asking himself. I'm going to trust Abby knows her for one of the best Brat Pack movies, Some Kind of Wonderful. I'm not much of a Brat Pack fan. <laughs> but... But I do know her from Fried Green Tomatoes, which you reference here, Anna. Um, What's the Brat Pack? That was the Molly Ringwald, and I think Demi Moore was briefly in it, Emilio Estevez, Matthew Broderick. Young people from the oh, 80s. that wanker in, um, you mean like that film about the boy taking, skipping school? Yes, Ferris Bueller. I hate that film. Do you? Yeah, I hate that kid. <laughs> but yeah, so she, she talks about Fried Green Tomatoes as a sort of lesbian awakening story and i know the book is super gay and they tone it down a bit for the film but the film is also super super gay yeah anna i know mary stewart masterson i remember her dungarees and fried green tomatoes you know like you got megabytes and gigabytes yeah have you got like mega gay giga gay yeah terra gay so if the book's terra gay the film's only <laughs> giga gay is that what you're saying that's what i'm saying yeah. now how about you read a letter this is one from ella shall i do the voice uh, is there a voice to be done? Hi, from NYC. Hey there. Randy Newman? Hey, Randy. He's from New Orleans, isn't he? <laughs> I enjoy your podcast. Daniel, I- you are in the pay of my enemies. Uh, okay, I'll stop. I found SMFMS through your episode on Batik... Betwixt the sheets. There's lots of ticks in my bed. Betwixt the sheets with Dr. Kate Lister. And I've loved every episode. Yay! Jane Eyre is one of my all-time favourite books, and I very much enjoyed hearing your thoughts on it. I wondered if you've considered an episode on North and South by Elizabeth Gaskill. She was quite an interesting figure, and the book is kind of a fun mix of romantic drama and social commentary with a bunch of different literary influences. Thanks so much for all you do. All the best, Ella. I haven't actually read North and South. I've seen the adaptation, but um, I know that's a, that's a huge Victorianist text. It's assigned on most Victorianist modules. It might be a good one for us to add to our long list, actually. But it's got that guy in it, the hot hobbit, Thorin Smokenshield, or whatever his oh, name. Oh, him, from Paul Dark. No, no, he's the Hobbit with the abs. I'm talking about. Oh, sorry, yes, you're right. I'm talking about the the Hobbit with the height and the hair. Yeah, that's exciting. Tells him from New York, America. <laughs> New York, America. My, my... Have you never talked to somebody from New York before? Probably not. I think I'm one of the only Americans you've ever spoken to. Both, no, no, I haven't spoken to a New York person. Wow, big day I've for spoken you. Spoken to people from Detroit. Right now, for some more corrections, Daniel. Did you have any corrections that you wanted to bring? Because I wrote down some for you, but yes. <laughs> did you do any? Um, I don't know. We talked a bit about pandemonium in Paradise Lost, didn't we? The big parliament of the devils. You know, some people say it's like a kind of a parody of the Civil War parliaments. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, I didn't mention this, but the, I'd done that whole spiel about how both the monk and the castle of Otranto, but the first big Gothic works were written by MPs. And mm-hmm. that there was something, I did that whole set the scene about how parliament 
the British Parliament was this like creepy evil place full of like depraved yeah. you know types and that's where the gothic comes from there but Milton had beaten me to it is all I was thinking that that's pandemonium neat. is the yeah. The first kind of gothic-y space of Parliament. Yeah. But I was just thinking, is there a kind of parliamentarian gothic? Friend, that's a paper. Well, that's that's, an that's what I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. Uh, if only you liked the gothic. If only it worked. Well, I've read enough of it now, so I might as well. Cause, and people say that, like, Milton is in part an anticipatory figure for the gothic. This idea of somebody that mm-hmm. pushes beyond the bounds mm-hmm. of what's acceptable. Satan is this kind of gothic hero. So maybe there's something there, but that's maybe just me thinking out loud. Maybe I don't know. We yeah. we didn't talk a great deal about Milton's influence, but he's quite strong for that, isn't he? Like there's a strong sort of Milton undercurrent in British literary culture. He was hugely influential, yeah. um, and I think the the one thing you wanted to point out was most people would sort of see that influence now on Philip Pullman. Yeah. Well, my favourite bit in Paradise Lost, the bit with chaos, is the home of mm-hmm. his dark materials yeah. that God uses to create stuff. So I suppose that's what the P- Philip Pullman yeah. series is. It's kind of uh, an elaboration on the Miltonic universe. Yeah. That's kind of... I read those when I was a teenager. Did, I don't know. Did you? You, were a bit t- you said you were a bit too old. I was too old for them. I was I was in my late teens or early 20s, and I, I read them, and I couldn't quite connect with them, mm. largely because as a fancy bitch, I sided with the woman who was based on Madame Mao. Mrs. Coulter. You yeah. can't give me some sort of glorious well-dressed nasty piece of work and expect me not to love her you know milton was at the devil's party and he didn't even know it philip pullman that's obviously what's going on there this is why i always side with baroness schrader in the sound of music yeah those kids just need the back of their hand to fill the back of her hand no she wasn't even that bad was she, she no was she was actually pretty nice all things parent, considered yeah. she she took their breakup pretty damn well and also, she's the only one who actually wants to send these children to school. Can Liesel learn some f***ing history or something? Quadratic equations. Not one of these kids cracks a book the entire film. How about some more audience questions, Daniel? Yes. <laughs> is that one of them? <laughs> <laughs> so this is by somebody who wrote in on my Facebook and has asked to remain anonymous. And they said... First of all, could Daniel please answer each of these questions below as and for Donald Bain as well as for himself? Question one. I was listening to your podcast while I got a beautiful new tattoo. Do either of you have tattoos and of what? Um, Daniel actually has two tattoos. He has flames sort of going all down his back because he wanted to look like a pimped out car and <laughs> thought it would thought it would make him... Move, faster, move faster. faster. Yeah. Um, he also has his eyeliner tattooed, so he actually wakes up looking that beautiful. Yeah. I was going to... See, I had a funny idea for my tattoo as well. Well, tell, tell us what your... Listener, that's a joke. Daniel, tell us what your real tattoos are, uh, if any. Obviously, I don't appear very much on the podcast. People probably don't really know what I look like. But imagine a completely bold guy mm-hmm. with Franz Rubo's... Siege of Sevastopol Panorama, a likeness of that tattooed all around the dome of his head. And that's what I've got. No, in truth, I don't think either of us I are... Don't know everyone, no. You know, we're, we're not tattoo people, really. I'm worried it would hurt. I think... I just don't... There's nothing that... I would like long enough yeah. to know that in 60 years, I definitely would still want this. It's one of those things that has to almost be a extension of trauma i think you know what i mean like I, like a sailor like i've got to have been in some horrible situation as a sailor yeah and then we all get the tattoo 
Yeah, sorry about that. We're very boring, and I just, I think I'm too fickle to actually, like, be able to commit to anything like that. Also, I'm a bit of a kind of, um, a bit of a rebel. <laughs> a bit of a kind of, you know... With no tattoos, interesting. What, well, no. See, the true rebels don't have tattoos because you don't want to be identified. So when I'm all, like... Knocking over corner shops and... Well, jumping around, yeah, f- writing wrongs, blowing up oil pipelines and stuff. I don't want people to be able to say, oh, he's got the Sevastopol. Does Donald Bain have an answer for this? I, I the Picts, traditionally, <laughs> have the wood. But I was too scared. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have no wood. <laughs> so no, uh, uh, I, have a, I have a transfer. No one of those transfers with water. Got a new one from time to time. It says cool thunder <laughs> on it at the moment. There you go. My liberal arts college really lost out on a great theater major with you. Okay, the next question. We've heard Abby's opinions on David Tennant. Who was your childhood celebrity crush that you had as a poster on your wall? And I think actually, Daniel, we should answer this for each other because I have a guess as to the celebrity crushes you had as posters up on your wall. Okay. Obviously, sexy Miriam Margulies. Right, yeah. But also, I think you had a sexy Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I do have a Rousseau poster. Are you f***ing kidding me? I do have a Rousseau poster. Are you kidding me? Is he sexy? Does he have a shoulder bared? No. It's, he's kind of all in like sort of psychedelic colours. Is he doing a sort of cheesecake bending over? Ooh! Sort of pose. <laughs> I mean, I like the sound of that. He's not. You can still fantasise when you look at it. You know, it still, it still gives you some material. So, so yeah, I do actually have a Rousseau poster. What about me? What did what did uh, what did teenage Abby have on her wall? Who did she fancy? Uh, well, we all know you're a big fan of Gone with the Wind. So I think it was that first husband of Scarlett O'Hara, who got- Charles Hamilton. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He's a heartthrob. I'm sorry, with his hangdog look and his Gene Wilder hair pass. That's a swipe well, I hope left. Well, not listening. God, <laughs> that's harsh. Okay. That is an incorrect answer. Right. What is your... That's, that's the funny thing. That this person is really asking two questions. Firstly, what posters did I have up? I was not allowed to have posters on my oh, wall. A lot of stuff's coming through this episode. I didn't <laughs> even throw in one. Yeah, okay. That was, that's a non-starter for that question. As a t- I know I fancied people. I think I fancied Heath Ledger... Do you have any hidden talents or superpowers? I have a really unfortunate superpower where people seem drawn to me to ask me to read their horrible poetry. (laughs) That's funny. Just for the permanent record, I never, ever want to read your poetry. Just uh, put this away. (laughs) (laughs) That's just entirely too much intimacy for two people to have with each other. Yeah, do I have a hidden talent or superpower? What does that mean? Well, do you have a hidden talent? You probably have a hidden talent. You're actually quite a good artist. Am I? You see, I'm just—I've got very low confidence, see, so I don't. Oh, Daniel! I don't even know what my hidden. Sure, I can fly, but (laughs) your kryptonite is confidence. Yeah, get confidence, stupid. That's it. I can quote the Simpsons. I can absolutely attest to this. Daniel's superpower is pulling out a Simpsons quote for any situation. Can you answer these questions as Donald Bain? Oh, Donald Bain. Who is Donald Bain's celebrity childhood crush? Oh, I think my teenage crush would have been... Uh, would have been a wee bit south of the border. 
I would have been Ethelfled, <laughs> the queen of queen of the the Mercians, and uh, my superpower. What we've done? Uh, my superpower is to to interject myself in any <laughs> scene in Macbeth, even when I'm not present. Okay, more questions from Nemeni Seven Nemoin. Nem one, I'm. We don't know how to pronounce. Nemoin, it. Idaho. We, we we still don't know how to pronounce your name. Which dead authors would you like to have as guests to find out if we are right or wrong in our academic interpretations of their work? Death well, of the author. Come on. No, I'm. Yeah, I fully subscribe to death of the author stuff. So I don't think that an an author's intention matters at all. It would get a bit snuff, wouldn't it? If you ever have a, a an author and a literary critic in a room together, the literary critic has to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a snuff podcast yeah so it's actually quite dangerous even to suggest this yeah I, I mean to me what matters is what the text itself does and how its meaning can change over time that's interesting to me i really don't care what the author intended that said i would be really happy for frankly any big author who's been dead for more than 150 years to come on the show because i would love to read them some hyper modern interpretations of their work in fields that they couldn't have possibly anticipated just to see how they'd react i'm just thinking about who would be fun to have on the show who'd be funny uh swift would be funny but pretty mean i think wild same would so, be yeah, funny but yeah. mean twain the same yeah, yeah okay yeah. so we were yeah so they would i think they would pull their weight in the uh in the, in the banter yeah stakes austin funny but mean i think chaucer would be a riot if i understood what he's on about that's the problem assuming language ba- babel fish it yeah. yeah language was no barrier voltaire funny but mean mm. i suppose all the gay stuff would be kind of funny to be like did you mean that to sound a bit gay you know, like all the queer readings. Yeah. That would be a kind of funny thing because some of them would probably, some of these also probably not appreciate. Yes. The Matthew Lewis probably would not appreciate. Or maybe he would, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we have some more letters and recommendations. Sean says, Love the show. You guys should do Titus Andronicus and Troilus and Cressida. It'll be so funny. First one's pretty hairy. Isn't it? I've actually never read it. I know of it, but and I know some of the the big twists and turns, obviously. But um, yeah. I've never read it. Yeah, oh. that that might be a fun one to do. So thanks for that, Sean. Adrian says this. This is Adrian from YouTube, my good friend Adrian. Hello again. Great episode as usual. It does an old lady's heart good <laughs> to know she is someone's favorite, even if they're on the other side of the planet. I love Abby's ability to find a queer reading or himbo in almost every episode. <laughs> And Daniel's accents are chef's kiss. <laughs> Even when they are bad. Actually, especially when they're bad. I don't quite know what examples those would be. but Not one? They're, they're all very good, aren't they? <laughs> Can't wait to hear Shakespeare with an American accent. And we have one more from Fabio, who says, I won't claim to be your biggest Portuguese or Lusophone fan. How do you even decide on that? But listening to you two bang on about literature does brighten up my day. Who else can insert a community reference into a retelling of The Raven? Who else can casually claim to have read the Lusiads, even if merely in translation? Ooh, burn. (laughs) I never read the whole bloody thing, and I had to study it in school. Carry on being great. Best wishes, Fabio. Fabio, you have no idea how insufferable Daniel can be. He's read everything. He knows everything about everything. First one's not true. Second one is true. Okay, so we don't have any more audience questions, but I have some questions for you, Daniel. What was your favorite meal that we've recapped 
on this season. This is annoying because I wanted to ask you this. Well, we can save it. You can. No, no, no. It's fine. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. It's, it's not I'm like... sorry. One of us did her homework in advance. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I just because you know that's my obsession. But that's why you. That's why you've asked it. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be. I was thinking the one in Candide where they're eating all the um, butterflies and in El Dorado. Yeah, and weird yeah. stuff like that. Well, what about you? I love Dorian Gray's overly romanticized food. Like the, all of his delicate wines that he describes in the wankiest possible way. <laughs> yeah. But it was the it was the cherries plucked at midnight or whatever the hell it was. I don't even like cherries, and I was like, I try some of those. Mm. That's that's how you know. That's such a kind of aestheticist motif, isn't it? Having something that doesn't even necessarily sound very good, but described in such a way that. And also, it's a world of girl dinner, and I'm here for it. Yeah. All right, let's go to our last batch of audience letters, please. And thank you. <laughs> this one is from Christine. Hi, I'm from PEI. Your biggest Canadian fan? Question mark. Prince Edward Island. Correct. The happiest girl on Prince. Is she the happiest girl on Prince Edward Island? What is that? Are you making? Is that Anna-, Anna Green Gables? I don't know if she ever said that. I can't remember. I'm sorry, she said. <laughs> but good on you knowing she's from PEI. Christine's not from Nova Scotia, but she's pretty sure Nova Scotians eat only donairs and seafood. What's a donair? I looked it up. It's like a kind of... I wonder if it's related to Donna, but it looked like a kind of, it looked a bit like a gyro. Inspired by your podcast, I've been reading early gothic novels all year. Having finished Otranto, Udolfo, and The Monk, I finally had to give in and read Pamela. Oh, Christine, bless you. That's I'm, hard work, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a tough it's one. commitment. The whole thing's commitment, I mean. I've never been so angry at a fictional character before, but re-listening to that episode afterwards was a great palate cleanser. Thank you for making this podcast and really influencing me to read things I would have been previously too intimidated to try. That is delightful. That's exactly what we're trying to do is make people realize that it doesn't have to be stressful. Yeah. It can be rageful instead. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, It's not a pleasant experience, but it's differently unpleasant. Okay, and this is our final audience letter, and it's from Lindsay. Hi, Abby and Daniel. I've just listened to your Macbeth episode, and I wanted to say thank you for cheering me up during a particularly difficult week. Daniel's Donald Blaine is indeed up there with his Adele from Jane Eyre, and will similarly be making me smile a lot when I think back to it for a long time to come. What we've learned is that Daniel shines brightest when he is screeching into the microphone in an accent as a sort of adolescent or childlike figure. Yeah, that's what's all about. I think you at some point asked for questions for an upcoming Q&A episode, and I'd like to ask you if you think it's ever okay to give up on a book if you're absolutely hating it, or if you think it's always worth finishing it, either because you might change your mind about it as you read, or because there's some value to be had from thinking about why you loathed it so much. I tell you what, I keep giving up on books I like. (laughs) I I think it's fine, I mean, go ahead. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a happy medium to be had because sometimes I've known people to give up on books really too soon. And I was Mm. like, no, you haven't gotten to the thing. My general rule for myself, and this is by no means something I'd want to instill on other people, but I I tend to make myself read one third of the book or about a hundred pages, you know, whatever is more. And if after that point, I just can't do it, then life is too short to read books you hate. Mm. Give it some effort though, I think is the happy medium because I think people can give up too soon and miss out. Yeah. But also I'm not, I don't morally object to people who give up on books. No, no, I think it's, well, maybe not should be encouraged, but I think it's a perfectly legitimate part of reading. And then Lindsay says, finally, I'd like to ask you to please, please never do an episode on The Collector by John Fowles, as I think one of your other listeners requested. Beef. <laughs> we've got two beefs between our listeners, haven't we? We've got the Portuguese beef. Oh. 
the, the, the battle of the Portuguese listeners. They're, they're not reacting to our beef. Well, Fabio did. And now we've got the, the fowls beef. I want you guys to fight this out so you can squash your beefs. Then we can all coexist happily. The Portuguese people are not really willing to fight with each other, and that's fine by me. But this one, I feel like this one has teeth. I'm stirring the shit for the Portuguese. Ooh, stir that shit, Daniel. And for the, the fowls lot. <laughs> so now let's do a bit of an end-of-season wrap-up, a little retrospective, if you will. Daniel, what was your favorite text this year? This is a much bigger series, isn't it? Because it, it was a whole year series, yeah. so there's a lot more to pick from. That said... The most enthusiastic I got about a book was Paradise Lost. Yeah, that's not a real question. I knew what you were going to answer. Second place, it might be something... I'm going a bit England's meanest period. I'm kind of getting a bit het up on that 1660 to 1720 period. It might be one of the default. It might be Robinson, Robinson Crusoe. Crusoe. That's exactly what I had predicted you were going to say. Yeah. For me, so I've, I've read The Stepford Wives now probably seven or eight times, and I'm always impressed by it. There's always more stuff that I find in it, despite its very, like, ostensibly simplistic writing style. I also forgot just how astonishingly good and moody Macbeth is, mm. but I think the one I enjoyed reading the most easily was The Odyssey. I bloody loved reading that. What was your favorite episode? I did really like The Odyssey episodes, actually. Those were fun. Yeah, Those were pos- good fun. The Monk was quite a fun episode, I thought. It serves itself up on a platter. Also, I think a good thing about that Monk episode is that we do a lot of the editing for Lewis that he should have done. Like we, yeah. <laughs> we drift over a lot of stuff that needed to be drifted over that he doesn't. Yeah, what about you? It was probably Macbeth, because I think we were really well rested after taking a two week break for that one. And because of that, I thought we were on exceptionally good form. And I think also the Stepford Wives and Robinson Crusoe probably had the most jokes per minute and we just riffed really well in those. Mm. It, it's ones where we've had a bit of a break usually and we're clearly like connecting with each other because we're not so tired. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. like there's space for us to sort of riff. What was your least favorite text? I'm not going to ask about your least favorite episode, but of all the texts this um, season. Well, the monk is stupid, but it might be um, <laughs> a tale of two cities actually. That Dickens is not on his best form no, here. It's not funny. Uh, it's things, not funny, yeah. All the things he does really well, he does not do in this book. Yeah. And that's not to say it's an irredeemable book. There are parts of it I really like. But he's not that type of historical fiction author. Yeah. He's just not. What about you? So I think I enjoyed reading The Trial the least. But you're also not supposed to enjoy it. Mm. So I really respected it for cultivating the exact mood it needed. I also, as you know, I hated reading Paradise Lost. But... As we said in our last episode, I really saw flashes of genius that sort of carried me over. But my least favorite, despite it being actually fairly easy reading and not necessarily unpleasant, it's got to be Lady Chatterley's Lover. Oh, yeah. It did not do what it said on the tin. No. It's not romantic, I don't find. It's not erotic. And also, I think it was technically the worst written book of this season. And I'm including The Monk. You're D.H. Lawrence. You can do better than this. Yeah, I wasn't... A big, fr- but I think it was so silly as well that I, I that sort of redeemed it as well. Like it-, uh, it made a good episode because it was so disgusting. Right. Well, that wraps us up for our you know sort of New Year's Eve special. Just by way of some housekeeping, we will be doing our Patreon book group on January 4th. We're going to be reading Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow 
in our Patreon book group. So if you are interested in talking to us live for an hour uh, and analyzing this book, please sign up to our Patreon and I will forward you the invite. We will be back with season five. Daniel, Daniel's agreed to do another season with me, or rather I've agreed to do one with him. We've agreed together. We've got the mediators in. <laughs> What's it, ACAS? Is that, are they the ones the that ACAS mean? mediators, yeah, yeah. yeah. They sorted it out. It was going to be a very bitter divorce, but actually we, we worked it out for the kids, which are our show, just the show. Yeah, the which, kid. which is Donald Bain. Donald yeah. Bain. Oh, I'm so glad mom and dad stayed together. <laughs> So we're going to be back with a new episode in mid-January. And we have some new things coming your way in Season 5. Uh, so we will describe how that season is going to work and what new features the show is going to have in January. <gasps> we will see you guys then. Don't raise your hopes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, lower them. Lower yeah, your yeah. expectations. Yeah, yeah. All right. And from Daniel and myself, we wish you a very happy new year. Be relatively responsible. If you're going to drop acid, have somebody there to make sure you get home safely and to maybe give you a hug and tell you the walls are not melting. Hey, is that something people do on New Year's Eve? I don't know. Thanks for listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Our music is The Overture to Don Giovanni by Mozart and cover art is by Catherine Wu. Our thanks to Aston University's Centre for Critical Inquiry and to Society and Culture for funding the startup of this podcast. Contact us at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on Twitter. And do not, I'm going to remind you, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Do not forget. Thank you.